0: Yesterday, we began seeing David as a kind of deliverer. We saw that he delivered the city of Keilah from the Philistines and today we're going to see that those very people who he delivered, God said they would deliver him up to Saul when Saul came to the city. So David here has to become the deliverer again, but this time he's the deliverer of his own men. We're going to look at this idea of David as a deliverer over the next few sermons. But one thing we see today is that David was not an absoluter. He was not a fatalist. He believed in doing whatever he could to fulfill God's will, while at the same time recognizing that God is the sovereign God of this universe. He would have been a good primitive Baptist, wouldn't he? (laughs) And finally today, we'll see a sweet little interlude where David meets his best friend Jonathan for one last time in this life. Jonathan and David reaffirm their godly love for one another as best friends in the Lord. And Jonathan reminds David of the covenant between them, which one day would benefit Jonathan's children, not for their sake, but for Jonathan's. Join us today as we continue looking at David the Deliverer, a man after God's own heart. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit. Oh, sweetest, dear, Now, I'd like to say to you that that was the end of the story and everything was rosy from there on out. But, you know, life's not like that. And it wasn't like that for David. It's not like that for us. He had a great victory here. He moved into the city. But we read in verses 7 and 8 that even though David had delivered Keilah, it says it was told Saul that David was come to Keilah. And Saul said, God hath delivered him into my hand. For he is shut in by entering into a town that hath gates and bars. And Saul called all the people together to war to go down to Keilah to besiege David and his men. Saul's spies had told him, here's David now. David's won this great victory, but now David is well, he's trapped. He's in, in a prison, if you will, inside these walls of this city. So he made preparations to besiege the city. Now you remember what I said earlier about Saul and about what, where you'll go where you'll end up if you have anger and malice and hatred in your heart I want you to understand something Keilah was Saul's own people Keilah was part of the the nation of Israel these were not Philistines these were Israelites and Saul was willing to go down and destroy his own people just to get to David what hate and malice are at work here and where it will lead you child of God don't ever forget that so Even though David has delivered Keilah, now David needs to be delivered. And we're going to read the rest of this chapter is about David delivering himself and his men from the hand of Saul. Now notice in verse 7, we'll not read everything here, but... uh, Uh, we'll kind of go down through it here in in verse nine uh, verses seven and eight tells us about Saul's spies and now we read in verse nine that apparently David had some spies because it says David knew that Saul secretly practiced mischief against him and he said to Abiathar the priest bring hither the ephod now notice again he seeks the Lord's counsel and seeks the Lord's guidance You know, I love that about David. He continues to do that. Now, he misses up. He makes some missteps later on. But he sought the Lord's guidance here in verses 10 through 12. Now, I want you to pay particular attention to this. We We may end up spending the rest of our time on this. Then said David, O Lord God of Israel, thy servant hath certainly heard that Saul seeketh to come to Keilah to destroy the city for my sake. Now here's his question. Will the men of Keilah deliver me up into his hand? Will Saul come down as thy servant hath heard? O Lord God of Israel, I beseech thee, tell thy servant. And God gives him an answer. The Lord said, he will come down. Okay. Then said David, will the men of Keilah deliver me and my men into the hand of Saul? He was worried about their faithfulness, and rightly so, apparently, because the Lord said, they will deliver thee up. Now, would you notice what's said here. There's no ifs, there's no conditions necessarily put on it. But he's teaching us a lesson here, okay? First of all, God says, Saul's going to come down, and the men of Keilah are going to deliver you up. So guess what? Now, now I, I, I say this to my fatalist friends out there. I say this to any absoluters that might be listening to this sometime. Has God absolutely predestinated everything that comes to pass? I don't think so. I don't believe that's what the Bible teaches here. We say, well, God wouldn't be sovereign if that's the case. If he didn't just cause everything to happen that happened, he didn't manipulate everything, he wouldn't be sovereign. Let me tell you something. God is so sovereign that he is not only the God of what? He is the God of every possible circumstance. Every possible thing that could happen. He's the God of it. Notice what he says here. He said, "Now, now, and, and I'm telling you, if fatalists will, will take this and say, Oh, come, bring it on. God says Saul's coming. God says I won't be delivered up. Just bring it on. I'll tough it out. Lord, let it get here. Get it over with. <laughs> That's what Eli said, wasn't it? You remember back over in 1 Samuel chapter 3? After being told that his sons were vile and he restrained them not, in verse 13. God sent a message to Samuel, the young boy, and said, you tell Eli that his iniquity is not going to be purged and he's going to, uh, uh, I'm going to take everything away from him as far as the priesthood goes. But notice what he says in verse 18. Samuel told him every whit, hid nothing from him, and he said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seemeth to him good. Now I realize that there was some judgment coming on Eli's house that he couldn't probably forestall, okay? But you know, what the, you know what the fatalists will do? The fatalist will say, well, just what is to be will be. There's no place for me to do anything. Just let the Lord do what he seems good. Now, I, look, there are places in our lives where we get to where there is nothing else we can do. And all we can do is rely upon the hand of God. Okay? But those places are usually places of deliverance. They're not places where we're obstinately going our own way and not listening to what the Word of God says. You know, that's what was happening in Eli's case. He wasn't restraining his sons. He wasn't doing what he should be doing. He wasn't doing what was right. He should have been out there every day. You say, well, they're his boys. They're his children. I don't care if they're his children. I don't care if my children are doing wrong. I cannot stand for that uh, in the context of worship, in the context of uh, of the church, in the context that Eli was in. You, you got to, he, he had a Duty to try to restrain them. He didn't do it. He just said, "Oh well, just what is to be will be. I'll just keep going on my way." <laughs> what if David had said this year? Well, okay, Lord, <laughs> they're coming down. Saul's coming down. They're going to live me up. Just what is to be will be. <laughs> See, that's not our, that's not our way. That's not what God's teaching us at all in His Word. He's teaching us, you know, you know, in the in the second chapter. I love that second chapter of John. The account of the. The, the water being turned into wine mm-hmm. at the wedding of King of Galilee you say well what is to be with the Lord's going to do whatever he wants to do there right yeah he is don't get me wrong he's sovereign yes but what if those what if those servants had gone in there and said well if the Lord wants wine he'll get it you know yeah. they told him to fill up, fill up the water pots <laughs> well you know the Lord can fill them up he's got the ability to do that he does he does he could have poured he could have, powered, he could have had a little thunder, little mini thunderstorm come down over those pots and, you know pour down water right in if he wanted to he could have done it but he didn't <laughs> He expects. A, there are times when the Lord will do stuff like that but it's the exception not the rule. you know some, there are times when the Lord heals miraculously I know people in, in situations where I believe people were healed miraculously but you know primarily today he heals through the hands of doctors you know you wouldn't want the doctor I'll I tell you one thing If I ever have to have surgery, I'm going to ask that doctor ahead of time if he believes in what is to be, will be. And if he does, I'm getting me a new doctor. (laughs) I want him to believe in in that I'm going to do everything I can to save this man's life, you see. Oh, what is to be, will be. We'll just do what it Man, If I'm going under about that, I'm going to be scared to death. (laughs) If I'm going under here. Whoa, wait. See, I don't want that. I want somebody that knows that is going to do everything that they can do to serve the Lord where they are and just like those servants that filled those six water pots up to the brim, right. see that's what God. That's, child, that's what we're to do as children of God. We're to fill our water pots up to the brim. And then if the Lord comes on the scene and changes that water into wine, praise God. That's right. You know, if they fill them halfway up, they'd only have half as much wine, right? That's right. <laughs> if you want to, you just fill your you fill your water pot up halfway. You'll have half as much blessing. You see. David here says this, or we're told about David. It says, Will he come down? Yes. Will the men of Keilah deliver me up? In other words, will they betray me into the hands of Saul? He said, They will deliver thee up. So what did David do? If he was an absoluter, he he should have said, Then David just uh, circled his wagons and sat there and waited (laughs) till what is to be will be, (laughs) till it came to pass. But this is what David did. David and his men, which were about (laughs) 600, then arose and departed out of Keilah. They departed and went whithersoever they could go. They left there uh, doing, because they knew that they needed to get away from there. They, didn't, they, they believed that they should continue serving God. And he led his men out to the places wherever it was that they could go. And we're told that uh, it was told David, Saul rather, that David was escaped from Keilah and he forbeared to go forth. And David abode in the wilderness and strongholds and remained in a mountain in the wilderness of Ziph and Saul saw him every day but God delivered him not into his hands and David saw that Saul was come out to seek his life and David was in the wilderness of Ziph in a wood we see that he's gone from Keilah now to the wilderness of Ziph doing what he should be doing which is seeking the Lord's will and trying to trying to uh, continue to serve the Lord they moved around into this place called Ziph. Now, Ziph, there was a city of Ziph, and the wilderness of Ziph was right next to it. The city of Ziph was on the south side of it, but this was a desolate area next to the Dead Sea. You know, the Dead Sea is called the Dead Sea because it's a salt sea. It's, you can't, you know, the, 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 the uh, unique thing about the Dead Sea is you can't drown, well, you can drown in it, but you can't sink in it. It's so full of salt that people can... You know, they, they have people that go on treks to the Holy Land will go there and you'll see them just floating out in the water they can't go under because the salt ba- bears them up but also because there's salt in there it's dead that's why it's called the Dead Sea nothing can, nothing can survive fish and that sort of uh, marine life don't survive there just some very uh, exceptional uh, types of life there and, and the area around it is a desolate place and David's faith and courage was greatly tested here Uh, I've read accounts of people that when they go to the Holy Land and they see this area, they're amazed by the fact that David could even survive out there, especially with 600 men. But that's where he was. And you notice what it said in verse 14. Saul sought him every day. Now, David knew this. It says in verse 15, David saw that Saul was come out to seek his life. And David, we're told, was in the wilderness of Ziph in a wood. Boy, isn't that a, just a, a very big type where we are today? We've got an enemy. David had an enemy that was seeking his life every day. And we know, he knew that this enemy was seeking his life, and he was living in a wilderness. Child of God, does that not describe us almost exactly? We've got an enemy that's out to destroy us. We're told he's even worse than Saul. You know, Saul was a big man. Saul was a, but you could talk to him and reason with him. You know, we'll read about that a little bit later on. But the devil that's out to destroy us, we're we're told he's like a roaring lion, out there roaming about, seeking whom he may destroy, seeking whom he may devour. I just, you know, I read these stories about. uh, I saw something on YouTube yesterday about a, a little account of a man who was eaten, who was mauled by a grizzly bear. And had taken pictures. Of course, this guy was kind of foolish. He was like 50 yards away and took about 75 pictures of the grizzly bear until it started after him. You know, and he. Uh, but I can't think of a worse way to die, really. You know, I, I think about being eaten up. by see, that's what the devil wants to do to us. He wants to devour us. He wants to devour. Sometimes he'll devour us from the outside. He'll attack us from the outside. We all have enemies. I've got them. You've got them. They're out there, they would eat us up if we'd let them. Sometimes he tries to devour us from the inside. I I tell you, the worst times of my life are not when I'm being assaulted from the outside, it's when I'm being eaten alive from the inside. Oh my, I've been there so many times where I'm just in a knot, where I'm either angry or depressed or ill or are fearful or whatever up to the point where where you know your stomach gets in a knot maybe you, you know you get to that point child of God if you let those things that are carnal uh, have their head if you will you know if you don't restrain them with a the bridle like you would a horse if you just let the you just let the horse run there's no telling where you are that's what David had David had an enemy that was after him every single day and he was a dedicated enemy and he's out there in this wilderness and you know occasionally we read about in the uh, account of Boaz and Ruth that Boaz told his, uh, his men he said you drop handfuls of purpose for her you drop handfuls of purpose for her here and there just leave a little more there for her to get as she's cleaning in the field I believe God does that for us sometimes and I believe he did it here for David in verse 16 verse 16 through 18 we read about the last time that David and his best friend were ever together it says Jonathan Saul's son rose and went to David into the wood and strengthened his hand in God and he said unto him fear not for the hand of Saul my father shall not find thee and thou shalt be king over Israel and I shall be next unto thee and that also Saul my father knoweth and they two made a covenant before the Lord and David abode in the wood and Jonathan went to his house this is sort of an aside here that, that, that the, the writer gives us, but I believe it's important because as David's out here in this wilderness, there's some things, you know, he's surrounded by lions, remember? He, he's surrounded by people that hate him. And then God suffers and allows providentially, I believe, this one man of all the men in the world that loved David the most to come visit with him. Just a little, little time. And it says that he strengthened his hand in God. You know, that's why the prayer was prayed this morning about fellowship. That's why fellowship is so important. I haven't seen you on, out on the campaign trail. I haven't been able to be around people from very much on the campaign trail or out in work or out in wherever else it is that I go that really love me and really have my best interests at heart. But when I see you, when we see each other, it thrills my soul, it thrills my soul I was contacted the other day by elder uh, clayton now who's a dear brother his you know brother kenneth's uh, father he was just asking me just getting in touch check on me see you know what's going on tell, asking some questions about what you know I just i've been contacted by some people recently that don't like me <laughs> you know they're they're trying to trying to bring me down you know or or at best they're just kind of i don't know about you what do you know What's the real story? You know that sort of thing. But boy, it's a blessing when I find somebody that really does love me, and nobody loves me like the other children of God do. You know that? That's why we need this church. You know, the church is is a reflection of the Lord Jesus Christ, we ought to come here whether we want to or not, just because He said to. But I'm telling you, child of God, we want to, we ought to want to come here. And I know that I know. Don't don't misunderstand me. I get up some mornings and don't want to be here i get up some Sunday mornings and it'd be so much better, just I think, to just stay at home and just you know, go fishing or go watch a ball game, do something else. I just don't want to see anybody. You ever been there? <sighs> I don't want to see anybody. I just want to be, you know, I just want to vegetate and leave the world out and nobody. But, you know, let me tell you something. When I come here, my heart rejoices. I think, did we sing that song? How did my heart rejoice to see? I mean, I, I, I rejoice to see you. I cannot imagine the joy that David felt as he was out there in this desolate wilderness being chased by his worst enemy, being surrounded by friends that he really didn't have much in common with that were out to get him and and pushing him and probably getting him, questioning him, constantly dragging him down. And now Jonathan comes out to see him and it says he strengthened his hand in God. That's what we ought to be for each other. I want to be your Jonathan, because you're my Jonathan. You're my Jonathan. I want to be your Jonathan. We ought to be one another's Jonathan. I will tell you, brother Buddy knows. I'm not at the office very much. I'm running around here and everywhere. When I finally get an opportunity to either call him or just run into him there, sometimes Tim's office is down there. I can just I just stick my head in every once in a while. And say, hey, how you doing? It just me up for the rest of the day. God allowed this good friend to come see him. And I believe he lifted him up. Now remember, this is their last encounter that we read about. We don't read Jonathan's name again until the 31st chapter of this book of 1 Samuel when he's laying dead on the battlefield. And that's the last time we know of that they, that they come together. Now let me just say this to you. I, and, and, you know, I, I hesitate to say these things that sound like what you hear in the Armenian world. But we need to not forget this. This could be the last time we're together. When you see one another, it could be the last time we see one another. And, and, and one day it will be. Last time on this earth. One day it will be. And we don't, we shouldn't be, you know, I'm not saying we... <laughs> I'm not saying we've got to run up to one another. We see each other on the street and start hugging and weeping on each other's, you know, shoulders, you know. I'm not saying we gotta do that, fall down and, you know, and wall around and be so, you know, just be yeah, we don't have to do that. I get that, okay? That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying this to you. Don't you take it for granted. Don't you take it for granted, because the day will come when it will be the last time that we're together in this life. Now, the beauty of it is is all that is is just a little blip on the radar of eternity, okay, for the child of God. We know that, but one day it'll be the last. Now, what are we going to talk about in those times that we're together? And, and, and again, it's okay to talk about the ball game, okay? It's okay, especially when you know it's great. <laughs> it's okay to talk about the ball. It's okay to talk about the weather. It's okay. To, I'm not. We don't always have to get into a deep theological discussion. We don't have to. But I want to say to you that our fellowship together. It ought to be permeated with the covenants of God. It ought to be permeated with the things of the Lord. It ought not just to be like any other person out there. It ought not to be just ho-hum. That's when I see you, when you see me, when we see each other, it ought to remind us of the fact that, you know, we're children of the king. Notice what these two did. It says in verse 17, Fear not. Jonathan told David this. Fear not, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find me. Thou shalt be king over Israel, I shall be next unto thee. But look at verse 18. And they too made a covenant before the Lord. And David abode in the wood, and Jonathan went to his house. You know what they did when they got together for that last time? They reviewed the covenant. I don't believe this was a new covenant. This was either a reaffirmation or a review of the first covenant that you remember when Jonathan said, I want you to swear to me that you'll take care of my children. When I'm gone, I want you to, I love you, you love me. You know, it's a covenant made together. You see, they reviewed the covenant. They reviewed the covenant. And this encouraged David, I believe. Child of God, I believe it's important when we're together that we ought to review the covenant. Oh, I, I don't mean we've got to go recite the five points, you know, of the doctrines of Grace every time. But, you know, there ought to be something about our fellowship that's different than just the kind of fellowship we have in the world. There ought to be something different. Let's, let's just remember in our daily walk here in this life, when we see one another, when we're together, let's review the covenant. Let's remember the things that make us what we are. You realize that all of us, and you think about, go back seven years ago, okay? We're six years into this church uh, being revived. You go back seven years ago, and there's not many of us, but for this church, but for what we have here, we might not all be together. Some of us might not have even known one another. But we're together now because of a covenant a covenant that the Lord made with His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I'm going to give you a people. And by the way, you're going to leave them something here that's precious and special and different, something that you're going to die for and that you're going to pay, shed your precious blood for, and they're going to come together in covenant relationship as family, as a family, my family. Behold, I and the children that hast given me. May the Lord add his blessings to his word. Thank you for joining us today on the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast.